in. Here we go. Another edition of Jamal about sports. Monday, February 6th, after the Super Bowl. I am, as always, your host, Jamal Hayden. Flying solo tonight as my man AG is licking his wounds, as is most of America, unless, of course, you are a Patriots fan. If you're a Falcons fan, you are crushed. The music selection, of course, was Low Down by Boz Skaggs. I thought fitting, given the, the mood in the sports world. Again, unless you uh, are a Patriots fan, the majority of the country, not happy with what happened last night. An amazing choke job by the Falcons, the likes of which we've never seen on a big stage. Yes, you give the Patriots credit for taking advantage of the many opportunities that the Falcons presented them. And we'll break it down in just a few. But make no mistake, this was an epic collapse of the highest order. And that's the thing about the Patriots. As much as I despise the Patriots, and I do, I don't think I've disliked a sports franchise or organization as much as I do the Patriots ever. I mean, those Yankees dynasty teams in the 90s and into the 2000s, the early aughts, they were annoying because as a Mets fan, they're right here in your backyard. They won all the time. You had the, 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 the pompousness of the Yankee fan the sanctimony of the Yankee fan, the sanctimony of the Yankees organization in a lot of ways. But if you were going to look at it somewhat objectively, other than a couple of things here and there, you know, buying their heated enemy Roger Clemens and his disgusting behavior in the World Series against the Mets and even that season against the Mets, by beaning Piazza because Piazza owned him. You know, there were, there, were, there were some villains on those Yankees teams, but for the most part, you know, Posada's a big mouth, a loud mouth, that it was a rabble rouser. He was annoying. But, you know, Bernie Williams, all class. Jeter, while wildly overrated as a player, all class. Joe Torre, class. Mariano Rivera, class. Those guys are all classy. Gene Michael, who in large part was a main cog in assembling the talent on those Yankees teams, classy individual. Andy Pettit, for the most part, classy. So as annoying as those Yankees teams were, because they won all the time, and the Yankee fan could get under your skin, you know, the team itself... Again, if you're going to be fair, not, not nearly as hateable as this Patriots organization. And it starts with the owner, who showed how classless he is again last night. And then it goes to the head coach, and it goes right to the quarterback. And we'll start with the owner. With his, you know, oh, this one is the sweetest of all. And he expected him to take a dig at Goodell because of the whole deflate gate thing. 
Let me explain something to you, Patriots and Patriots fans out there, okay? No team, save for perhaps the Bulls led by Michael Jordan and coached by Phil Jackson, no team has ever benefited more from the favor, from favored nation status, from its league, the way the Patriots have from the NFL. It's amazing. Nobody was booing Roger Goodell after the tuck rule game, were they? Nobody was booing Roger Goodell after he burned the Spygate tapes and said, move along, people, nothing to see here. Gee, that's not suspicious at all. Nobody was booing Roger Goodell when the NFL made up a rule that you can't hit a quarterback in the knee after poor Tommy got knocked out for the season on what was for 50 years a perfectly legitimate and clean hit. Nobody was booing him then. But oh my God, you have the nerve, the temerity to come after us and deflate gate and how quickly we forget. And I get it, you're fans, I understand that, again, the, the, the term fan does not lend itself to rational thought. I myself fall victim to it as well when it comes to the lines. I get it. But enough of the hand-wringing and this persecution complex and the woe is me. Get over it. You just won the damn Super Bowl. Even, even if you had lost the weight like you should have, you should get over it. You made the damn Super Bowl. What a joke. And I'll actually give Brady credit. He actually handled it pretty classily. Although I, I find him to be impossibly smug and impossible to root for otherwise. Belichick, we all know. And listen, maybe it's an act. Who knows? You know, his players swear by him. Everybody says there's this other side to him. And that very well may be the case. I don't know the guy personally. All I can judge is by his outward persona. He seems like a creep. And the owner better zip, should zip it, too. Last time I checked uh, there, Bobby Kraft, you're the only team that employed a murderer. Multiple murderer, by the way. It Now, it looks like, with Aaron Hernandez. The old Patriot way. And LeGarrette Blount, guy who quit on the Steelers. And sucker punched a player on an opposing team when he was in college in a post-game handshake. He's a real piece of work, that one. So I find the Patriots impossible to root for. All right, now we get to the game. Actually, we're not going to get to the game. You know what? How, how, <laughs> I, I may be accused of times of injecting uh, my Lions fan bias into conversations. And I'm going to figure out a way to do it now. I'm going to shoehorn it in. To a show that's going to be devoted mainly to the Super Bowl. How, may you ask, Jamal? A team that is so far from the Super Bowl, it's not even funny? Admittedly so. The words Super Bowl and Lions should not be mentioned in the same breath. Fair. But here's the thing, Patriots fans and Patriots organization. You want to play the woe is me card? You want to play the persecution card? You want to act like the NFL has it out for you? Let's run down a little list. See how you guys would be reacting if these things happened to your team. Let's flash back to opening day 2010. Lions against the Bears, the Calvin Johnson play. Need I say more? 
Love to see the Patriots fans and the organization and Bill Belichick's reaction and Tom Brady's reaction if that game-winning touchdown had been nullified against the Patriots. That's 2010. I'm just starting in 2010, by the way. Not even going back. Won't even talk about the time they froze the field in Green Bay for a playoff game before Barry Sanders and, and the team came to town. 2011. Last game of the year against Green Bay and the immortal Matt Flynn. Remember that guy? Made a career out of one game against the Lions? When two ridiculous fumbles, one Stephon Logan for the Lions, one Brandon Pettigrew, when both players clearly down, refs let the play go, Schwartz challenged both, refs refused to overturn him because it's up in Green Bay, it's up in Lambeau, can't do that. And then when a touchdown and Titus Young was called incomplete when it's supposed to be called a touchdown, and then Schwartz was out of challenges, and guess what? Oh, they changed the rule after that the next year. All touchdowns should be automatically reviewed. Interesting. Then we'll go to 2012, Thanksgiving Day, against the Houston Texans. Justin Forsett tackled after a five-yard gain. Clearly knee down. Refs don't blow the whistle. Runs for a touchdown. Jim Schwartz loses his mind, understandably. Throws a challenge flag, which then says, oh, the play now can't be reviewed. Oh, that's funny. And then they got rid of that rule because it's so dumb. The next year, fat lot of good it did the Lions that year. How about 2013. Lions in desperate need of a win on a Monday night against the Ravens to stay alive in the playoff hunt. Matt Stafford throws a bomb to Chris Durham in the end zone. Blatant pass interference. Jerry Austin, the former NFL referee in the booth with ESPN, the Mike Pereira for ESPN, says that's the very definition of pass interference. No flag call. Instead of first and goal at the one line, end up punting in a game they end up losing on a 61-yard field goal by uh, uh, Tucker, the kicker for the Ravens. How about 2014? Playoff game against the Cowboys. That play at the end of the game in overtime looked familiar to anybody last night? Where the uh, linebacker for the Falcons didn't have his head turned and had his arm kind of up in between the Patriots' tight end's arms? Yeah, because it's the exact same play that they picked the flag up after calling it pass interference in the Cowboys' playoff game against the Lions. The Lions with a, a three-point lead at that point. Late in the game. Picked up the flag. First and only time that's ever happened. How about the play on Monday Night Football? Where Calvin Johnson's about to go in for a touchdown and win the game, except he fumbles at the one-foot line. But then K.J. Wright, linebacker for Seattle, bats the ball out of bounds illegally. But somehow every official on the field misses it. So instead of the Lions having another chance to score a touchdown, game over. Or how about the fact that the league basically had it in for who should have been the best defensive player in the league in Dominican Sue. When's the last time another player had to go meet with the commissioner to talk about his, his tackling, how he's, being, he's hitting people too hard? Look, I understand sometimes Sue play past the whistle, as do a lot of people. Oh, by the way, Rodney Harrison come to mind. Probably the dirtiest player in the NFL when he's on the Chargers. But then when he goes to the Patriots, oh, he's just a swell guy. He just plays hard. 
Dominican Sue had the misfortune of coming into the league when they don't want any tackling anymore. They don't want violence in the game anymore. And boy, they saw him and said, this is a problem for us. We are going to chill his play if it's the last thing we do. Went so far as to promote the game against, the, that at the time, Tim Tebow-led Denver Broncos on NFL.com for its schedule of upcoming games that week as good versus evil. And you're going to tell me the league didn't have it in for him? So I don't want to hear it, Patriots fans. And it's funny. Since he's left the Lions and gone to the, the, the Dolphins, you hear a lot of chirping about Indomitian and Sue? Has he had any meetings with Roger Goodell about how to tone down his supposedly over-the-top play? No. Guys want to play the persecution card. Nice try. <laughs> Come walk in my shoes for about four seconds as a Lions fan. What a joke. All right, now let's get to the game. Started out ugly. Both teams sort of feeling their way around. Then the Falcons start to roll. 7-0, it's 14-0. 21-0, pick six. Thinking, all right. Patriots botch their last possession in the first half. Throw an idiotic tight end screen to Martellus Bennett. Forced to kick a field goal, 21-3. You certainly don't think it's over. At least I didn't because it's the Patriots. And as much as the Falcons blew that game in the second half last night, you give the Patriots credit. If you give them an opportunity, they will take it. And they took it. And after, at 20... 8-3 in the second half after the Tevin Coleman touchdown. You know how many times the Falcons ran the ball? And this, by the way, an excellent running team. And we were, and we're running the ball well against the Patriots last night. How many more times the Falcons ran the ball? Four. After that, after that ridiculous catch on the sideline by Julio Jones, when it's an eight-point game, gives him first and ten at the Patriots' 22 which is a 40-yard field goal for Matt Bryant. That's money for him, particularly in a dome. Under four minutes left, run the ball three times. Even if you don't gain a yard, you kick a 40-yard field goal, you make the Patriots burn their time out, probably down to two minutes, and you're up 11 points. I'll wait. You're up 11 with two minutes to go. You're up two scores. With two minutes to go. That means the Patriots have to come down, score a touchdown, get the two-point conversion, and recover an onside kick and kick a field goal. Or, you know, they could recover the onside kick and score a touchdown. So, let's just say for argument's sake, they did come down, scored a touchdown, didn't get the onside kick. Game still not, I mean, didn't get the two-point conversion, but then recovered the onside kick, which they tried earlier in the game, by the way, and weren't successful, and the Falcons uh, frittered that opportunity away, too, with great field position. So, I mean, look, the Falcons did everything wrong in that second half. 
The play calling is beyond head-scratching. It makes no sense. And I'm not one of these guys that says, hey, you know what, let's, let's sit on the ball with you know, 15 minutes left to go with a full quarter left to go. But at some point, it's just math. I mean, it's just math. You run the ball three times. First of all, you know, who's to say you don't score a touchdown? Devontae Freeman was shredding the Patriots. Yes, I understand he lost one yard on a first down play. So then all of a sudden you go away from the run? It's ridiculous. And again, that's part of who you were as a team. You had the two-headed monster at Coleman, who I know was hurt. Okay. But you have Freeman in the game. You still have him. He's the better runner of the two anyway. And then you get the killers. You get the sack. Knocks him out of field goal range. Matt Ryan, I'm sorry. You can't take a sack there. On third and one, by the way. They're throwing the ball. All right, they recover after the sack, complete a pass, and then that gets called back for holding. Which was, in my mind, a ticky-tack call. Chris Long was pretty much falling down to the ground anyway. Yes, Jake Matthews had his, his, his left arm kind of around the upper body of Chris Long. I get it. But Chris Long wasn't doing anything on that play. Anyway, Chris Long hasn't made a play in five years. And there you go. And then they punt. And then once that happened at 28-20, I mean, you knew the game was over. You knew the Patriots were coming down the field and scoring and getting two. You knew they were going to win the coin toss. And you knew they were going to score a touchdown on their uh, first series. I mean, the Atlanta defense was gassed. Gassed. And instead of the ultimate crowning achievement for that franchise, a coming out party for Grady Jarrett, who had three sacks, second-year player out of Clemson, a coming-out party for rookie linebacker uh, Deion Jones from LSU, coming-out party for Julio Jones, who is this now generation's Calvin Johnson. He's an absolute stud. Even when he's covered, he's open. Utter crushing disappointment. For the Falcons and their fans. And by the way, for those of us who can't stand the Patriots. Got a text from AG. I'm done watching sports. Barely slept last night. Wasn't that bad for me. I didn't sleep great because some nitwit decided he was going to lug some uh, steel, some metal rods around last night in the neighborhood at 3.30 in the morning. Drop them on the sidewalk a few Four or five times. (laughs) Anyway. Just a brutal loss. And I understand if you're a Patriots fan, I'm a hater. I know I'm bitter. Not giving the Patriots any credit. No, I'll give the Patriots credit. Again, you give them a crack, they will take it. And they did. But the Falcons had to do exactly what they did for the Patriots to have any chance. To have any chance. It just made no sense. The lack of running the ball made absolutely no sense. And then the Falcons' defense was guessed. And then, of course, you get the Brady charmed life. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying the guy's not great. Of course he's great. 
But has any quarterback led a more charmed life in the playoffs and the Super Bowl than Tom Brady? Now let's start with some actual examples, some real facts. How about that game against the Raiders that got this whole thing started? Sack, fumble, Rod Woodson, game over. Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to invoke an arcane rule that nobody knows even exists called the tuck rule, where a play that for 50 years was a fumble is now somehow not a fumble. And by the way, have we heard about the tuck rule ever since? Have we ever seen that play, that, that call, that ruling come into play since then? It's interesting. Hmm. Don't think so. But it's funny, I don't really hear any Patriots fans getting all mad at Roger Goodell then. How about the game against San Diego? I don't know if it was the next season, the season after, playoff game. Brady throws a game-clinching pick for the Chargers. Marlon McCree, except instead of just taking a knee, he tries to return it like a dummy. Troy Brown, to his credit, strips him from behind. Of course, the Patriots recover, giving the Patriots another chance. And of course, they took advantage and ended up winning the game. How about the Super Bowl against Carolina? And by the way, does Brady ever play against a good quarterback? I understand Matt Ryan was MVP this year. The Super Bowl against Carolina, against that, 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 that immortal Jake the Snake DeLone. A game in which, like a dope, John Fox goes for two to try to give Carolina a 21-18 lead early in the fourth quarter. With 13 minutes to go, goes for two to go up 21-18. Why, John? What? You, you, the Patriots are going to play you to tie to get to 21-21 and go to overtime? So, of course, they go for two. Don't get it. Then they score again. And now they're chasing the points. They go for two again and don't get it. Then the Patriots score. And now because the score is the way it is. Belichick goes for two. Of course, Patriots get it. To go up 29-22 instead of it being 24, probably 20. And then if the Patriots scored, they probably would have just kicked extra points. They would have been up by three. And then Carolina comes down the field and scores. To tie the game at 29. And then, of course, John Casey, who is an, uh, an all-pro kicker, decides now is a pretty good time to kick the ensuing kickoff out of bounds and give the ball to the Patriots and Tom Brady at the 40-yard line, only needing a field goal to win, which, of course, they drove down and went and, and got the kick. Of course, Vinatieri made it because the guy made everything. So that wasn't exactly Tom Brady's brilliance there. Yes, again, they gave him the crack, and he took it to his credit. But that was just some ridiculous coaching by John Fox in that game. And then, of course, the dumbest play call in the history of sports, throwing the ball on the one-yard line when you have Marshawn Lynch who's a battering ram and almost impossible to stop. And Bill Belichick completely brain-freezing and not calling timeouts so that the clock ran down so that if the uh, Seahawks had scored there, which they were going to, game over. I know he's great, but boy, has he gotten every break also. And last night's game included. It's interesting. 
Two, two plays, two different quarterbacks. Matt Ryan, fourth quarter, guy comes free in a blitz. Devontae Freeman misses the block, doesn't see it, gets sacked, ball pops up in the air, drops to the ground. Of course, the Patriots recover it. New England scores after that. Earlier in the game, Tom Brady gets drilled, blindside, doesn't see it. Actually, didn't come from his blindside, but he was looking left, so his right side turned into his blindside. Ball gets popped up in the air. Somehow, miraculously lands into the arms of Martellus Bennett for a 15-yard game. Boy, is Brady great. What a great play by him there. I mean, just dumb luck. That is dumb luck. Not to be outdone, of course, though, by what, again, should have been the game-clinching interception by Robert Alford, who had the pick six earlier in the game in the first half. And, of course, the ball clangs off his hands. And then with three Falcons also there, by the way. So, basically, Brady threw a ball in a quadruple coverage, should have been intercepted, Gets popped up in the air. There are three Falcons there, and somehow not one of them can get their hands on the ball. And the ball, about an inch from hitting the turf, Julian Edelman somehow able to catch the ball. Now, I understand, look, that would only made it second and ten, and the Patriots probably should have scored there anyway. But I'm not even talking about the fact that Edelman caught it. Alford should have intercepted the ball. Game over. So, again, the guy's great. But, boy, does he get every break in the book. It's unbelievable. Now the question becomes, if you're the Falcons, where do you go from here? You're losing your offense coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, who's going to go coach the 49ers. It's now official. And listen, he obviously, and deservedly so, and before last night's second half brain meltdown, was the hot offensive coordinator. Falcons led the league in scoring. Most points in the league this year. Matt Ryan won the MVP. I've talked, I've been I've been lauding the Falcons since week 16. I believe I had them going to the Super Bowl before the playoffs started, because I loved that offense primarily, and I thought they could rush the passer. Even though the defense wasn't great, they gave up a lot of points and they gave up yards. Compared them a bit to the Giants. The only two teams to beat the Patriots. So, you know, I like the Falcons. Thought they had a great shot. And for about 45 minutes last night, they they certainly did everything that they were supposed to do. And then it just all fell apart. So where do they go from here? Losing your offense coordinator. And historically, teams that lose a Super Bowl generally have, uh, there seems to be this this sort of residual hangover effect. And they don't have a very good season the next year. You know, go back to last year, right? Carolina went 15-1, and got crushed in the Super Bowl, and then had a lousy year this year at 6-10. and Now, Seattle lost, but then made it back to the playoffs the next year. So not quite as bad. I think Atlanta actually uh, is crushing as this is. And you don't, you know, if you're a Falcons fan, there's no way you're thinking about next year right now. I get it. But 
if you are trying to look at it objectively, I think the Falcons are well positioned to be a good team for, for the next five years. They've got a lot of young, good young talent on that team. I mean, that defense is really young, and I understand they got gashed in the second half when Brady carved them up. They were gassed. They'd been on the field forever because the Kyle Shanahan was too busy throwing the ball all over the place and never getting a first down. So they were on the field a ton. You know, think about it. The Falcons really offense only scored three touchdowns because they got the pick six. And even on that pick six, the refs tried their best to keep handing the Patriots first downs with three defensive holding penalties. And then Alford got the pick six deep in uh, Falcons territory. But, you know, listen. Uh, this Jones kid, the middle linebacker from LSU, the rookie, great. Really promising. Made a bunch of big plays last night. Had a big stop early on the first uh, first series, as a matter of fact, on the Garrett Blunt on third and one, stoned him in the backfield, stripped LeGarrette Blunt, went in deliberately and ripped the ball out of his hands to cause a fumble, had made some great plays and coverage down the field, covering running backs. Guy's a good player. Fast, sideline to sideline. Grady Jarrett talked about him. Rashad Hageman's a young player. Two anchors there in the middle of the defensive line. Vic Beasley Jr., who really didn't show up last night, but did lead the league in sacks at 15 and a half. He's a second-year guy. I mean, that's four guys that are all second-year guys on your defense. Robert, Robert Alford's a young player. They're going to get Desmond Trufant back as a young player. Their other starting corner. Brian Poole's a young player. Keanu Neal's a young player. The hard-hitting safety. There's a lot of youth on that defense. Should only get better. And on offense, Julio Jones in, in his prime. Mohamed Sanu's in his prime. Taylor Gabriel's in his prime. Matt Ryan's getting a little bit up there, but he's not old by any stretch, 31-32. Freeman and Coleman are both young backs. they got to get a little bit better on the offensive line. But, I mean, they're a young team. So, if they can get past the mental anguish of this collapse, there's no reason why they shouldn't be well-positioned to be a good team for the next five years. Maybe three, say. Maybe Matt Ryan loses it at 35. Who knows? Although that seems less and less the case these days with quarterbacks. As evidenced by Brady, who's going to be 40 next year. And Aaron Rodgers and, you know, Peyton Manning played, you know, late into his career. Eli's 35, 36. It's amazing. These guys are old now. Philip Rivers, Roethlisberger. Does not seem like that long ago these guys just came in a league. Meanwhile, it's been like 10, 10, 11, 12 years. It's crazy. So I think the future for the Falcons is still bright. I know, again, conventional wisdom is, you know, teams will come off the Super Bowl. And listen, <laughs> make no mistake, this is a crushing defeat. You know, it's interesting. I wonder, would you rather get blown out in a game like that? Or would you rather, you know, would you rather get, have like the Chargers did against the 49ers back in 94 where they just got, you know, they just weren't, you know, the Chargers got by and pretty much got to that uh, Super Bowl with smoke and mirrors. 
That was a Dennis Gibson. You know, they went into three rivers and beat a Steelers team. Frankly, it was a better team. Dennis Gibson batted that pass down on fourth down uh, inside the five-yard line, former Lion. You know, that Chargers team led by Bobby Ross and Stan Humphreys was the quarterback. You know, that that, that team got, back, got by a moxie and good coaching. They were not a particularly talented team, and it showed in the Super Bowl. Now, granted, that 49ers team was stacked, you know, led by Steve Young. But, I mean, that, that was, that's got to be the most lopsided Super Bowl, I think, in history. And it was never, I mean, it was an embarrassment from, from the jump. Yeah, you had that also, I think, the 49ers wrecked the Broncos. I think they beat them 49-10, I think, in one Super Bowl. I mean, there were some, you know, we had a lot of blowouts, actually, back in the, in the 80s and the 90s. The Super Bowl was, was mostly, every year, a pretty bad game. Yeah, you had the great Niners game where Montana drove them, what was it, 90 yards to beat the Bengals late in 88. Now, you had a few, but a lot of those, you know, the, the Bills, obviously they lost the heartbreaker of the Giants, but basically got blown up by the Cowboys and the Redskins. You know, the Steelers kind of hung with the Cowboys in one year when Neil O'Donnell was the quarterback for a little while. Ben Morris did some nice things, and then he had the two terrible, you know, bust of coverage interceptions to Larry Brown, who ended up winning the MVP as a result. Two two balls that hit him right between the two and the four. Um, so it's interesting. I don't know. Would you rather just get blown out, and then you don't, you know, you just you just tip your cap and say, hey, other team is just much better. I mean, I don't think there's any way. You come away from that game yesterday and think that the Falcons weren't the more talented team. I mean, the Patriots looked old. They looked slow. The Falcons looked like they had a much, much more athletic team. I mean, the things Julio Jones was doing last night were ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, it's going to get lost now, or at least in the immediate aftermath that will, because of the Edelman catch and the fact that the Patriots came back and won. But Julio Jones, I mean, the the Patriots had no answer for him. He was making ridiculous catches all night. Oh, I'm sorry. Where was that star, Malcolm Butler, last night? Oh, that's right. He was getting juked to the ground by Taylor Gabriel. I mean, the Patriots hadn't played a decent offense practically all the year. And if Kyle Shanahan would have known what the hell he was doing in the second half of that game, the Falcons win that game. And here's the other thing. Also, by the way, when, it, when the Falcons got the ball back and they had that big play to Deontay Freeman to pass out of the backfield on a blown coverage by, uh, it looked like, I think, either a Landon Roberts or, or Kyle Van Noy. They both went with the receiver up the middle, and, and Deontay Freeman came out the backfield and got like 30, 39 yards on that first play down from inside their own 10. Then the next play, Matt Ryan's taking a snap with, with 20 seconds on the play clock. I'm like, what are you doing? you got to run that, that play clock down to two. And then snap it. Meanwhile, he did about three or four different times. They snapped the ball with 15-plus seconds left in the play clock. It's ridiculous. That's terrible game management. And I'm sitting there going, what's he doing? You don't snap the ball with 15 seconds left. That's insane. So anyway, you know, I just I thought Atlanta was easily the more talented team. Save for Brady. 
Brady's obviously a better quarterback still than Matt Ryan. That's for sure. I know Tom Brady wouldn't make that mistake. That's that that you can bet on. But I mean, you watch those Falcons defensive players when they were fresh, running around, getting everything. Oh, and then all of a sudden, it's amazing. Mediocre receivers who. But let's be honest. If you were a GM and you were starting a team, would you take Julian Edelman over any of your receivers? I mean, you're the Cowboys. Don't you already have a younger, better version of Julian Edelman and Cole Beasley? If you're the Lions, isn't Golden Tate a better, younger version than Ju- of Julian Edelman? If you're the Giants, isn't Sterling Shepard a better, younger version of Julian Edelman? If you're the Steelers, Antonio Brown's the best receiver in the league. I mean, Chris Hogan? Is anybody really taking Chris Hogan to do much? Yet somehow they get it done. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, you look at Taylor Gabriel, I'll take him over Julian Edelman. Now, I understand. And I'm not saying Julian Edelman's not a good player. He obviously is a good player. He had a big, couple big drops last night. He actually looked like what you would expect Julian Edelman, a former quarterback at Kent State, who is, you know, 5'8", 185 pounds to be, which is a nice slot receiver and makes some plays for you here and there. But certainly not a franchise-type wide receiver. I mean, the Falcons just clearly look like the better and more talented team for most of that game last night. I mean, I think the Patriots' defense did anything spectacular. Couple coverage sacks, okay. There's nobody on that Patriots defense that stood out. Where you said, "Wow, boy, I'd love to have that guy on my team." Maybe Dante Hightower because he came free on, on a missed block. Where was he all the other times when Devonte Freeman was gashing them, either out of the backfield as a receiver or running the ball? And Kyle Van Noy is scrubbed from the Lions. And that supposed great Patriots secondary. The great Malcolm Butler. I mean, the guy's a nice player. All right, everybody relax, though. Peter King, I'm looking at you. with your He's in lockdown, A, grade A, cover, corner, please. If he was that, they would have put him on Julio Jones. They didn't even put him near Julio Jones last night. Eric Rowe, guy they traded for from Philly. Guy who's been the luckiest player in the playoffs. He was burnt three times. Against the Steelers and Roethlisberger threw the ball all three times. I mean, it's not. I understand the Patriots' numbers looked good on defense this year. Look at who they played. You, know, you get the Jets twice; they're a joke. And you know, the Dolphins, eh? The Bills, you know, one-dimensional, good running team, eh? With a bad defense, they played the Browns. I mean, they didn't play anybody. They're playing really good offenses this year. Man, I'm not saying they're terrible. Some of these guys are good. Obviously, these guys are good players. I get it. Some of them are good players. But they're not like they're, and it's not like the, the Patriots have an all-pro at every position on defense. So, you know, I just I thought if you watch that first half, there's no way. If you're a Patriots fan, you're thinking to yourself, okay, this might it's probably it. Probably the run's probably over. 
The Falcons are the next wave. This is what a hot, up-and-coming, young, talented, athletic team looks like, and we ain't it. You know, I thought there was a there potentially was a lot of symbolism in Brady flailing at Robert Alford as he returned that pick six for a touchdown. But it was not to be. Which brings me to a larger question, which is, I mean, again, I think it's fair to say that everybody outside of New England would tell you that the Patriots are an impossible organization to root for, right? I mean, as unlikable an organization as there possibly is. And yet they win and they always win. Which begs a larger question. Maybe it is better to be a jerk. Michael Jordan, certainly not a nice guy. That guy won all the time. Kobe Bryant, not a nice guy. He won plenty. Phil Jackson, as smug as they get, won a lot as a coach. Horrible as an executive, but won a lot as a coach. You know, there's that old Leo DeRocher line. Nice guys finish last. I don't want to go that far, but it sure looks like creeps win a lot. And yes, I do not think I do. I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that our current commander in chief happens to have a large affinity for Kraft, Belichick, and Brady. Maybe I've got this whole life thing wrong. Maybe being a good person is for the birds. I don't know. And I think probably what you'll find is that people like Brady and Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Belichick, these super insanely driven people, do probably one of two things. They either separate the two and say to themselves, well, you know, I'm one way during competition and I'm another way not during competition. Which may or may not be true in some of these guys' cases. You know, listen, I understand Brady gives a lot of money to charity and all that stuff. And, you know, to me, a lot of that's probably window dressing. But, you know, whatever. Look, I don't know, what the, I don't know what's in the guy's heart, okay? He seems like a creep to me. He does. Seems like a smug jerk to me. Same, I, I said the same thing earlier about Belichick. But I don't know these men personally, so I, I can't tell you. But so I think they probably do one of two things. They, they separate the two. Or they just delude themselves into thinking, no, well, look, I mean, this is what, this is what it takes to win. And I'm, I'm a good person because it's my job and that's what I'm supposed to do. So it doesn't matter by, by what means... I get the desired outcome as long as I get the desired outcome. And that's winning. I mean, Michael Jordan sure didn't care whose feelings he hurt when Bill Cartwright wanted to punch his lights out because Michael Jordan disrespected him. You know, Bill Cartwright was about the, one of the nicer men you'll ever see in the NBA. And it had about enough of Jordan disrespecting him constantly. It basically wanted to fight him 
And that was not exactly Bill, – Bill Cartwright was not exactly feisty. If anything, Bill Cartwright was maligned when he was on the Knicks for being a supremely talented player who, you know, was maybe not the most aggressive player in the world, shall we say. So listen, seems like bad guys win. That's the theme. Bad guys win. I mean, Tiger Woods, look at that guy. I mean, you know, I mean, is there a more insane driven player in the history of golf than Tiger Woods? You know, and look, I mean, you know, by all accounts, Arnold Palmer is a hell of a guy. But he went near the golfer Tiger Woods was when Tiger Woods is in his prime. You know, Jack Nicklaus, I guess, would be the exception to the rule, I guess. You know, I don't know enough about him. He's obviously extremely well-respected now. He's also in his golden years. So, you know, I don't know if people felt the same way about Jack when Jack was in his prime as they do now. I think Arnie was always universally loved. Jack, not so much. Maybe. I don't know. Again, I have no idea. I don't know the history of golf well enough. I need to have my man JB3 on here to tell me. Because he knows. He'd be able to tell me. But, I mean, you look at, you know, particularly recent history. I mean, look at I mean, look at the NFL. The NFL is the perfect example. The Patriots are the perfect example. You can't get a more unlikable team. And yet, they always win. And yes, again, I know I used the Yankees as an example early to start the show. There are certainly players here and there on those teams that you didn't like, but for the most part, it's a class act of an organization. And, you know, Steinbrenner, yes, they won a couple when he was still there, but he was kind of not really part of the, the proceedings for a lot of the dynasty. You know, obviously, George was roundly disliked, but he also... Just from the whole Seinfeld thing, even though it wasn't necessarily him. But he seemed to at least have a little bit of a sense of humor about himself. Apparently he thought that was all very funny. Unlike uh, certain people we know who are the most thin-skinned and have zero sense of humor about themselves. Talking about number 45. And uh, I don't mean... The linebacker for the Falcons. So it's just interesting. I was just thinking about it last night. I was just thinking to myself, you know, son of a bitch. These freaking Patriots did it again. Is there any is, – is, does karma exist? Because it's hard to think it does when you see them continue to win. And I know, again, Patriots fans would probably go nuts. How dare I say this about them? Robert Kraft is the most wonderful human being on the planet. He gives also he gives so much money to charity. Belichick's misunderstood. He's a real cut up away from the press. And Brady's a wonderful guy. Maybe all those things are true. I don't know. It sure seems unlikely to me. But maybe it is. I don't know. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Hope you enjoyed it. We're now entering into what I like to call the dead zone. Uh, not a lot of sports now. We've got, uh, you know, spring training is still uh, far down the road. Pitchers and catchers, I know, is probably in three weeks or so. We've got college hoops. I'll probably be doing a lot of that. University of Maryland had a horrible loss 
on Saturday at home, choked away another home game against a Big Ten opponent. This time it was to Purdue. Didn't score a basket on their home floor for the last seven and a half minutes. Almost impossible to do. And Purdue, look, Purdue's a solid team. But you can't have that. You can't complain about the fact that you're not ranked higher and then put on a performance like that. I don't want to hear it. So we'll talk probably a lot of Maryland hoops coming up. NBA here and there. I mean, I got to be honest. The the Knicks, the state they're in, it really has, has, has sort of muted my enthusiasm for the NBA as a whole. But we'll stick with it here and there. We'll, we'll continue to follow Westbrook and James Harden and DeMar DeRozan and some of the other stars in the league. Isaiah Thomas, I have to put him in there now. The diminutive point guard from the Celtics having a phenomenal season. I think, I'm pretty sure he's leading the league in fourth quarter scoring. Guy's 5'9". Average is getting the foul line nine times a game. Pretty spectacular. So we'll do some basketball. We may do some golf, too. I may have my man JB3 on here. Johnny Branchfield may do some golf with us. You know, we'll fill in the gaps till we get to baseball season. NFL draft, but that's still a ways away. I mean, that's late April. You know, I know we got the combine coming up. We'll talk some draft. We'll get AG back in the mix. He's become sort of our draft guru here at Jamal About Sports. Our Mike Mayock, if you will. But that's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Peace out, y'all.